Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian profession. I'm your host, David Howie. On this episode, Leader Up went on the road to Fort Polk, Louisiana, and the Joint Readiness Training Center. Our guest host for this episode is Dr. John Loden, who is a member of the Multi-Domain Operations Group here at Army Management Staff College, where he specializes in social information systems and teaches the information operations part of the new Information Advantage course offered to senior military and civilian leaders. Dr. Loden, first of all, thank you for helping out with this podcast and being part of the Leader Up team. Tell us about your visit to Fort Polk, who you talked to, and what you talked about. Hey, David. Thanks. Thanks for having me, first of all, and thanks for letting me join the Leader Up podcast team. It was a great deal of fun. I happened to be down in Louisiana last month, and having heard Brigadier General Doyle uh, speak about Army civilian development, I was curious to know a little bit more uh, about his thinking on that and on leadership. And so I I managed to sneak into his schedule at at the GRTC and um, interview him about how he understands and practices strategic leadership. Uh, And when I asked him to tell me a little bit about himself, he had the following to say. Uh, I've been the commanding general at Joint Readiness Training Center in Fort Polk for almost 12 months. Next week will be 12 months. I've served here uh, previously as the commander of operations group, which is the entity that's responsible for running the rotations that train the Army's brigade combat teams, uh, specifically the light brigade combat teams. And we train them to be prepared to go deploy, fight and win in complex environments, in very difficult terrain. And we have an incredible team that's built around the installation that makes that happen. I've also had a lot of experience at the Joint Ready Training Center as a player unit, as we call it, um, throughout my career, beginning with my first rotation back in 1994. And so I remember distinctly uh, seeing this place as a daunting kind of difficult and foreboding location. Oh, you're headed off to JRTC. Uh, now I have the opportunity to look at it as home and it's a, uh, it's a little bit different, but how did I get here? That's a really good question. I, you know, serving as an infantry officer for 29 years, had the opportunity to uh, lead formations at the battalion and brigade level. I was the chief of staff of a infantry division, the seventh infantry division at joint base Lewis McCord had the, Real distinct pleasure of working with uh, General Scott Miller as the uh, operations officer for uh, the Special Operations Joint Task Force for Afghanistan, which was a, an incredibly interesting experience. And then uh, more recently, as the operations officer with General Paul LaCamera for Operation Inherent Resolve. And both of those units were unique because they had a combined and joint component to them with an international flavor and a unique mission set that was tied to elements of national security. And so when you talk about how did I get here, I'd like to think that some of the folks that saw me operate in those spaces recognized uh, that I had done a reasonable job at managing complexity and helping integrate uh, what we were trying to do from a policy standpoint into military operations. 
Well, so you've, you've hinted at this, and I, I want to follow up a little bit on what are the complexities involved, and what do you think are the abilities that you as a strategic leader have to sort of demonstrate, model, and possess to, to handle those kinds of situations? Well, sure. I think, you know, if we're going to talk from a common definition, um, what I view as strategic leadership is the ability to work with either a very large organization or a diverse organization, an entity that has more than a singular mission set, but is responsible to provide some degree of uh, efficacy and service to another group, uh, and one that has potentially substantially altering outcomes. In other words, a strategic leader uh, may influence decisions or may make decisions that change uh, large portions of either a business community or a organization's future. Um, so some of the attributes I think you have to have if you're going to be successful uh, as a strategic leader uh, deal with feedback loops, uh, the ability to learn, which ties to feedback loops, and the ability to communicate. So I'll hit those three if, that, if that's okay, John. That sounds fantastic. Great. So first of all, I think the feedback loops – uh, when you're at an enterprise level, when you're working at a, a substantial level where you're no longer able to get tactile feel for what's happening, you've got to have the sources of information that are coming to you that are reliable. You've got to have a unique set of sources. You've got to have sources that come from a variety of different uh, feeders because inevitably you're only going to see a portion of your organization. You're only going to see that which you can grasp or observe on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet you're responsible for all of that. And so setting up feedback mechanisms may be one of the most important things a strategic leader has to do so that when you do have to make decisions, they're informed and they're informed from the breadth and depth of your organization. I think that ties to the, the second piece, uh, which is you know the communication component. Because not only do you have to receive that information, not only do you have to take on board those facts, you've got to be able to turn it around uh, and get it back out to the, the users and you've got to be able to help them, you know, recognize what it is you want them to do or the behaviors that you're trying to encourage. So receiving the information is one thing and then being able to go through the process of uh, getting guidance out to people is also really important. And I, you know, I find that a lot of folks communicate well in one mode or another, but depending on who your audience is and how big your organization is and, and the impact that you're trying to make, you've got to be able to communicate multimodal. You I mean, there's a time and place for social media mm -hmm. for a strategic leader. There's a time and place for direct communications. There's certainly a time and place for written communications and policy. So those things are really, really important for a strategic leader to be able to put together, put into practice. And then I think the other thing, you know, as you, you get your feedback mechanisms and you talk about how you're going to communicate now, you have to recognize that you're leading change in almost every endeavor. You're actually going through the process of changing people from that which they want to do in some cases to that which you want them to do. Or you're leading change because your your boss or your higher headquarters or your your supervisors are saying what you're producing is is not enough or not adequate or it's not ideally matched for the environment with, with which you're you're operating. So I think there's um, that need to embrace change and, and kind of inspire people to move through things they wouldn't do on their own volition. 
Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about sort of a balance between the day-to-day things you have to do and then getting to that, you know, vision and purpose that you instill on in an organization or communicate to an organization. I mean, how do you find making that balance? Wow, John, that's a good question. I don't know if I do it well all the time. Um, you know, the, the requirements of the day tend to eat your disposable time. And so being very intentional on things that matter and trying to schedule that in advance is a great technique. And two things that I do that I've found to be very helpful, and mostly I stole from Joe Miller, um, he would ask his aide-de-camp or his team to give him a roll-up from the previous month's worth of activities. Where did I go? Who did I spend time with? And they would quantify it. They would actually, you know, it's not a qualitative thing. It was just sum up how much time did you spend with your staff? How much time did you spend with fellow commanders? How much time did you spend with outside agencies? How much time did you spend with your higher headquarters? And they'd annotate that for him. And then he would overlay that against what he thought his priorities were for that given period of time. And if there was a mismatch, he used that to then say, okay, I did not go to this place or I did not talk to this leader or we did not invest enough in this. So manage my calendar in the future so at least I set up the opportunity to do a better job of what I said was important. And so he had a pretty prescriptive set of priorities and he was able to tie them to his activities. But again, going back to feedback, John, the feedback that he got enabled him to visualize whether or not he was doing that, which he said was important or whether he was being pulled in different directions. Didn't always work, but it's a model I've taken. Uh, so that helps me protect the day-to-day from getting away, from, getting me away from that, which I think is really important. The other thing I, you know, I learned, um, you, you have to be in the moment. And so while the day-to-day may seem like it's not consequential, if you're not mindful and paying attention to what's happening while you're doing it, you've got some grand design on where you ought to be going, you may miss that opportunity to make a positive change in somebody's life or in the the course of your organization. And so, you know, that attribute of mindfulness and really being attentive as you're going through your day-to-day, I think is important for a strategic leader as well. So this sounds like an interesting mix of both uh, personal development you've done to increase your own mindfulness, but also organizational, right? Putting in place a system where you review your schedule and see where your priorities are going. Are there other kinds of things like that you've done that you feel like make it more clear and, and, and a straight, more straightforward path to be a strategic leader, yeah. to work at the strategic level. So this will seem counterintuitive. Um, I'm going to point to my dry erase board, which is behind me. And you see on there just a few things that I concentrate on. And what I learned is if you have too many priorities or if you have too many things that you think are going to get you to a successful path, they will get lost in the mix. So as a battalion commander, I chose three things that were very important to me and I communicated them consistently. And in each engagement, every place I went, I talked about three themes. As a brigade commander, I felt a little bit more important. So I gave myself a fourth one. Uh, I have not changed those things in essence from the quantitative standpoint. I've modified them to fit my unit, my organization, uh, but they match my leadership style and they match what I think successful units in and forces have to do. And so by staying very focused and being consistent and going back to what I talked earlier about a strategic leader's role in communication, um, I, I try to stay very nested within those priorities. And while there may be a lot of great things that I could be doing, 
if it's not really clear that it fits with one of those four priorities, I try to at least not talk about it, even if I'm going to have to do it. So narrowing the focus, communicating that to your team, and then getting the feedback on whether or not uh, it's really happening is pretty important. What do you? What have you done, and what do you think strategic leaders should do to enhance the support of their of their team? Wow. Uh, well, I think training your team, equipping them so that they have competencies that are necessary within their field. You know, I look at folks as investments. If you're going to get a rate of return out of them, if they're going to provide something to your team or to your unit or your, your organization, you shouldn't expect that to come out of thin air. You should put something into them that equips them for that, that mission set. We talk about competencies in the military, we talk about attributes and characteristics. But if you're making investments in them, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's training, sometimes it's actually giving them space to think on their own, uh, you should expect to see a rate of return on that. And if you don't, then you go into the other type of feedback where you, you pull people aside or you talk to them through counseling or you engage with them to say, hey, I'm making this investment in you. Here are my expectations. Where, where and why is this mismatch happening? And if they're exceeding your expectations, then those are the people you say, okay, I need to give more training to this person. I need to make bigger investments to this person because they're your 401k that's blowing up. I mean, they're the ones that are going to take your organization to the next level. So if you look at it as a term of investment with your team, then you can expect to see them you know, produce better results for the overall mission or the, or the purpose uh, that your organization has. So that's, that's what I've tried to do is look at individuals uh, as investment opportunities and then figure out what's going to enable them to be more successful because it's different for every person and that takes time. And that's probably the hardest thing to do is to recognize within your team who needs what and who needs different things than their peers. Because if you try to make it universal or blanket, it's rarely going to be successful. I like that notion of investment very much. Um, and I'm thinking about the sort of diverse body of people that are both soldiers and civilians in the army. And I'm wondering how you go about bridging some of those differences between your experience and their experience and how you communicate to them, you know, what investment looks like and what it will feel like for them. Well, when you deal with diverse groups, especially with experience and age, the start point has to be humility. Because largely as a strategic leader, you feel like, hey, I've made it. I've, I've advanced through the gates of whatever was the conditions that my organization set, my entity set. I navigated that whole pathway and here I am. So therefore, you know, I must be successful. People should want to be like me. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case. And the degree of humility that you have to have to say that people may have different goals, people may have different objectives, and yet I can get something from them to help us be successful uh, is sometimes the challenge. So stepping outside of your own skin, not an easy thing to do, but I, I believe pretty important because folks will come at you and tell you what they want and what they want to accomplish, but you have to ask. You have to find out uh, what they are trying to do within their career or their, their lives. So if you're going to get that investment and you're going to have them understand that you're making the investment, then you got to have that understanding of what it is that they value. And so once you determine that, then you can figure out what tools are available and then you can apply those tools to the people that you have and kind of guide them 
uh, in more successful pathways. But, but, the, but the challenge is not to typecast everyone and think they're either going to follow your pathway or that's what they want, even what they want to do. That's an important thing. I think that, you know, um, people have gotten to that level, have gotten there, their path, but other people are pursuing either similar paths or different paths. And not realizing that is one potential pitfall for a, a strategic leader. What are some some common pitfalls that either you felt like you've stumbled over or you you see happening that you that you want to sort of point out as being what strategic leaders are, should avoid? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. And if uh, if Joan Townsend is listening, I apologize in advance. And if my uh, National Defense, or correction, National War College Professor Mike Mazar, if you're listening out there, I also apologize in advance because I'll give you two examples. Uh, when I was a brigade commander, not really a strategic level, but kind of on the verge of uh, working in at the strategic cusp, um, my division commander was General Townsend at the time, 10th Mountain Division, and he had some pretty clear priorities that he wanted to accomplish by all of his units, and he communicated them very clearly, and he had great feedback mechanisms and there was little ambiguity on what he wanted. And what I failed to do was use his same language to communicate back to him that I was in alignment with him. I was still trying to accomplish what he wanted. I was still trying to do the things that he said were important, but I was doing it in somewhat of an indirect methodology, and he couldn't recognize it. And as convinced as I was that I was doing that which would, would please him, because he couldn't see it in evidence, he helped me understand in no uncertain terms that I was missing the mark and pulled me aside and said, listen, you've got to do that which your boss tells you to do because that's where he has said he's going to invest his time and energy. And if you're responsible for a substantial portion of his force, you better be doing the same things. And then once you do that, you can diversify and approach other topics and then potentially show how your methodology still meets his goals and objectives. But that you know, the first thing I did not do was communicate with clarity that I understood his requirements and that I was following through on his requirements to help our entire organization uh, be more successful. And he was right. I mean, he was absolutely right. He knew what he needed that organization to do. I just needed to fulfill my role. And uh, I was not doing that as, as cleanly as I should have been. And then with Mike Mazar, who actually taught a class on uh, strategic leadership, uh, we struggled to define the difference between a strategic leader and an enterprise leader and just a leader. And we, we would put these Venn diagrams on the board. And we'd, we'd have these very deep discussions about what crossed the threshold into strategic. And it was not until I, I was working at uh, the job I described earlier with uh, General LaCamera that I saw the outsized impact of the decisions that he made and truly appreciated how one becomes a strategic leader. And I think if I were to have gone back and talked to my National War College self, I would have clarified the, the not just the importance, but the impact of the decision-making as whether or not it defined you as a strategic leader. So that was uh, eye-opening for me. A pitfall... Um, you know, the communication piece with General Townsend, clearly a pitfall. The pitfall to the General Camera example is more about failure to recognize when you are a strategic leader. Failure to recognize that you do have an outsized impact on not just the organization that you're responsible for, but a lot of people who are dependent upon your activities. 
I like that expanded notion of strategic leader and, and the role that communication plays, that in some part, you know, in one of those examples, you need to communicate up as well as down. And so how do you imagine communicating effectively within an organization? I mean, yeah. it seems to me as a strategic leader, you have a particular responsibility and, and role in, in not only communicating effectively, but setting a, a, a tempo for communication as well. Here's what I'm learning. Uh, folks that do marketing, I wouldn't say they've got this figured out, but they have a lot of the science down because you have to communicate with the audience in a way that the audience is going to receive, in a way that the audience is going to retain, and in a way the audience is going to then behave. And so it's almost doing market analysis on your organization. If you have certain branches or certain entities that need certain types of guidance, then you should deliver it to them in a way that's going to be receptive. You should not try to force them to accept your best methodology of communication. Uh, if you're, you know, market, you're doing market analysis and you know that you've got a young demographic, then short, you know, concise bits are going to be really important. I've watched our counterpart at the National Training Center do some magnificent work on doctrine and explaining, you know, techniques, tactics, and procedures, but they do it in very concise, bite-sized delivery fashions. And so it's not a, a white paper that you have to get out into the forest. It's it's more like a blog. It's kind of a hey, listen, here's here's a vignette, here's a doctrinal principle, boom, mm-hmm. execute. And so when you're trying to communicate that to a junior leader or you know someone under that demographic, it's got to be designed so that it, it it falls on fertile ground. So I think the methodology of marketing enables strategic leaders to find the ways to communicate best with different portions of their entity. And then also communicate laterally mm-hmm. and to communicate uh, with your boss. I don't know if I would market to my boss. That would probably be the wrong approach. But the the idea behind that, I think, resonates with, with a lot of the other types of messaging. So much of what you're describing here is sort of letting go your own notions of things or, or preconceptions, if you will, and, and going with what works. Well, and that goes to the humility uh, piece that I mentioned. When I attended uh, Sam's and, and Mr. Bannock... Steve Bannock was my SAMS director. He helped me recage the way I framed what I thought I knew. And episodically, you need to do that. You need to reevaluate those sources I described. And, and are you getting the right information from the right sources? Do you value the information that comes from the, those sources as much as you should? Have you overinvested in certain characteristics or attributes that you have that worked in a previous set of jobs? And therefore, you're just trying to hang on to those same skill sets. So the humility of reflection is, I think, one of those other underpinning criteria for a successful strategic leader. If you're going to embrace change and lead change, then you've got to look at the things you need to change yourself to adapt to the the organization. I think there are certain attributes that you don't ever change, your character, uh, the, the values from your organization. If you're going to have a profession, you have to have that code that underpins your behavior. But as far as methodology, as far as techniques, the flexibility that you have, I think, determines whether or not you're going to meet the conditions of the environment. Your environment is is a complex one. Um, you have both uh, uh, warfighters and civilians under your command, and you have to communicate to them. Uh, and how do you lead and communicate to those groups is there a difference in the way you communicate? Is there a difference in approach? What what works do you feel in 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 with those two groups? 
we've been doing that, I think, fairly well here because the continuity we have, and as in many organizations, is within our civilians, especially those that have been with this enterprise for a long time. And then we have a, a transitioning audience that is often our military personnel. And so our civilians are pretty well bought into the idea, the concept, the purpose for the Joint Readiness Training Center in Fort Polk. And they have committed decades of their lives in some cases to seeing this be successful. Whereas we bring in some of the military personnel that are here for a different temporal period, we've got to get them on board quickly. Mm -hmm. And so the things that we communicate to them are often about short-term objectives, about, hey, this is where we're going to be in the next three months, the next six months. If you're going to tell them where you're going to be 10 years from now, they may not care because they may be off to their next assignment. When you talk about 10 years to a civilian, some of the folks that have been here are thinking, okay, I got to get working because that's right around the corner. So I, I think the temporal component is a way that we communicate differently with our team. But I also think, you know, we have common enough values that the, the messaging uh, is fairly consistent. You know, our, our Department of the Army civilians that work here really do believe that our responsibility is to train folks to go fight and win. And they want to be part of that. Otherwise, they wouldn't still serve in this location. So we still talk about the same ideas. I think the, the time horizon is the biggest difference between how we communicate with our, our civilian personnel and how we communicate with some of our military personnel. What would you say to those? I mean, what do you find yourself saying to your civilian personnel who are interested in, in growing themselves and developing within the Army? Well, first of all, the the program like you have at Leavenworth where folks can take courses that match their needs or they can engage with experienced civilian leaders is invaluable. We've got to get more people to avail themselves of that and go out and seek that self-development domain. That's the responsibility everybody has. Now, leaders have to afford them the time to do it. And in some cases, that's at a cost. So it goes back to the idea of investment. If I want you to be better five years from now. I better plant some seeds now, which means I need to send you the course or I need to enable you to take the time to go prepare and train. I also tell the, the civilians we have here that they can learn from each other. We, we have a pretty good leader development program where they talk about things that are really s substantial in their career field, and then they pass along practices and techniques laterally. And so it's not always top-down training or top-down instruction or top-down mentorship. A lot of it's just collaboration. Get out of your cubicle, go visit with somebody else, see what they're doing. Our financial team is magnificent. Uh, the team that we have here does a great job of handling money, but they're also really good at process and system, as you might imagine. And so they are able to communicate with some other sections and say, listen, here's some tools. You can amend them or modify them, and they'll help you with your process. And as a result, we're more successful. So I think the, the training component of it is important. The investment in their future is important, but then encouraging to collaborate and uh, to work with one another and share good ideas is a, another great thing that happens to make our, our civilians more successful. It sounds to me like you've, you've done a fair amount of thinking about this and a fair amount of implementing things that really encourage people to develop. Based on that experience and on what you've, you've seen over the years, what would you tell senior leaders they need to think about more in terms of civilian development? Well, what I, what I would expect is that, they, again, they ask the question about where the civilian employee, the civilian population, the civilian team wants to go. And uh, where, where is it that they visualize their success? If you have that conversation, 
then you can start your own path to learning about how to be an advocate or enable. Because a lot of our military leaders are not as familiar with the civilian process as they should be. And, I, and I'm one of them. I, I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to figure out. And thankfully, I've got a great chief of staff. and I've got some folks who help me administer uh, the process of, of our civilian leader development program. But engaging with them is a great start because they can tell you what they're going to need to do to advance or to learn more or to be a better contributor. The other thing I'd say is as you're dealing with your civilian population, the things that bind us together are are substantial enough that you ought not to treat them completely like a different species. And the more we interact with one another in a common frame, I think the better we are in communicating. You just got to be careful you're not leveling unrealistic expectations on them. There are policies and there are procedures that are, they're going to follow because that's what they're supposed to do. There are other policies and procedures that your military personnel are going to follow because that's what they're supposed to do. And if you try to get those to overlap, you can get yourself into trouble. I'm, I'm probably not telling anybody out there anything that they don't already know. But you ask the questions, engage with them, ask them how you can be an advocate, and then try to treat them in many ways with the same degree of uh, regularity and, and frequency and contact as you do with anybody else that's on your team. And I think you find that you're going to get better results from a, a group setting. Well, General Doyle, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down and talk with Leader Up and with the Army civilian population out there. Um, we appreciate your time and we appreciate all that you've done. So thank you, sir. John, thank you very much. This is a wonderful opportunity, and I hope that everything continues to go well with your program and certainly look forward to the opportunity to speak with you again. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.